The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. I was um, just pondering this morning how many times is it in our lives, like if you could just think through the course of the week, uh, those moments when God was a reality in your life. I mean, you just, maybe he nudged you in some way. Maybe he just sensed his presence in some way. Maybe he reminded you of something. And you just, it was like a reality. I don't know about you, but man, for me, that's just amazing. And then I was thinking about all that in the context of uh, this thing that is uh, humbling it's, uh, it's beyond our ability to grasp sometimes, but this idea of becoming, how that we got, this, uh, we got this huge object lesson, so to speak, in the Old Testament, where Israel was given a space to learn and to grow and to know and to become. And we have the same thing here, uh, this idea of our becoming uh, growing into, becoming like, into the image of Christ. And we were here, and God is radical transformation in our life. And even before that radical transformation, this idea that he was helping us along to get to this place, and now we come to that place of salvation, and between now and whenever our life ends, that opportunity for us to keep becoming. That, that, that space, I mean, we... We mess up, we, we don't do what's right, and God's just, there's that space there. And He, he approaches you, and He just kind of does what only God can do. He just kind of, He reaches you, and He refocuses you, He redirects you, and you find yourself laying your life down more, understanding more. I don't know about you, but man... Being a, being a follower of Jesus, becoming a child of God is an amazing, amazing thing. I don't know about you. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. Amen? Well, we are, like Doug said, uh, we are in John chapter 3 this morning. And we're going to be looking at the accounting of uh, Nicodemus visiting Jesus at night. And I want to reiterate this again because I don't think we should miss this, is that John's letter, when you look at John chapter 1 through 12, it, it's Jesus' public ministry. Because once after 12, it's a 13 through 17 is really his ministry to his disciples. So Jesus, and Jesus, and then it's his uh, trial and execution. So those 12 chapters are Jesus' public ministry. And in his public ministry, John, as I said so many times, he says, look, um, there's a lot written about Jesus, a lot of signs of what he did, but I'm, I'm, I'm taking these seven, 
And I am going to focus on those because through those, I want you to be able to see Jesus, Son of God, Messiah, so that you, by believing in his name, you might have life. So he's very specific about what he's doing. Two weeks ago, we looked at the... Um, his first of his miracles, which was the miracle of turning water to wine in Cana. And then I made mention that when you read through the Gospel of John specifically, and if if you look at the miracle, and then see the accountings that take place after the miracle, he's, what he's doing is he's emphasizing who Jesus is and his ministry and what he's here to do through those other accountings. So if we look at like we talked about two weeks ago, uh, big pieces, this idea of changing water from Ryan was about transformation. It was about change. It was about uh, from the old to the new, and Jesus was the one that does that and is, that did that. We look at the next one, which is cleansing the temple, the idea of what was, what was there wasn't right. There needed to be change, and Jesus was a change agent in that. This morning, we're going to be looking with Nicodemus, the very same thing. It's about transformation. It's about from what was to what God is going to do, and Jesus is going to be the change agent. He is the one going to do that. When you get to the next accounting with uh, John the Baptist again, the very same big ideas are there. When you get to the woman at the well, the very same things, what is there? It, it, that was there, but there's this, there's this transformation going to take place. There's going to be this change, and Jesus is going to be the one that's going to bring about change. So it really just kind of just really pushes the simplicity. And what I love about that is that when you think about uh, <clears throat> John saying, you know what, I suppose all the books in the world could not contain all the things that Jesus did. That's three and a half years. He said that. I mean, three and a half years and he said that. And then I think the whole of history, the history of God work from creation and God's uh, revelation to humanity, it's here. And, and John is basically, he's kind of simplifying. He's going, here, these are the things I want to focus on so you know this. And when you read through the scriptures, it's, it's, it's to me. Yeah, there's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of mysteries, but there's a lot that's just real simple. This is what you need to know. And so for me, when I'm reading through John, and I've never looked at the gospel of John like this ever before, but as I'm reading through the gospel of John, John is just, he's, again, he's 40 or 50 years back here past the resurrection. He's looking back and he's going, man, this is what's important. Peter, when he wrote, He's, he's, he's on this side of it, and he's going, man, this is what's important. Paul, in his last letters, he's going, man, this is what's important. This is what you need to know. And we really see that in the accounting of Jesus' uh, conversation with Nicodemus. Now, John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish, council, Jewish ruling council, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God is not with him. So context, we just got out of chapter 2, and at verses 23 and 24 of John chapter 2, this all kind of goes together. It says that when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. So we know that Nicodemus was also there. So whether Nicodemus saw the signs, heard about the signs, whatever the context is, they're at the feast. 
They're in Jerusalem, and this is where all this is taking place. Now, Nicodemus, what do we know about Nicodemus? Well, it says that he's a Pharisee. He's a member of the ruling council. So does anybody have any ideas? What, what, what are the big pieces of a Pharisee? What are the things that we should know about a Pharisee? Educated? Somebody else? What did they believe? They believed Moses' law. How did they believe differently than maybe the Sadducees? They believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels. The Sadducees didn't. So I think it was Tony on Friday. The Sadducees were more of a political branch, maybe. Not that they were devoid of any religion. So Nicodemus would have been, he would have been an influential, right? Anything else we can, we want to say about Nicodemus? Okay, came to Jesus at night, so he didn't want everybody to know, possibly. Anyone else? All right. So, he was a Pharisee, respected. But in my mind, when I read through this, you know, I used to read through this, and I go, what a knucklehead. But I got to viewing Nicodemus maybe just a little bit differently. Because we know that Jesus had sharp contentions with the religious leaders. And, you know, what was, how did they, what did they think about Jesus, the religious leaders? What did they want to do to Jesus? From the very start, they did not like Jesus at all. Could be jealousy. There's a lot of things that could have been taking place there. He rebuffed what they said. He challenged their beliefs. He challenged them as individuals. And you just see that scenario as a, as a story and accounting of Jesus just continues to move forward. That got sharper and it became a bigger gap. But Nicodemus, he was different. He had to be different. For him to even approach Jesus, so he didn't have the same mindset of the rest, most of the rest of the Jewish council. Otherwise, he would have been like the rest of them. He had been on the sidelines trying to figure out how they can trip him up so they can kill him, get rid of him, somehow get rid of him. Now, uh, as a Pharisee, Nicodemus would have stressed the careful observation of the law and the traditions of the elders. So he would have been that guy that was just making sure he was doing everything right. But also, as a Pharisee, they believed that the way of salvation was by keeping the law and keeping the traditions. That's the way of salvation. But in Jesus' discourse with him, he indicated to Nicodemus, that's not going to work. That's not the way that this is going to work. That will not save you. Matter of fact, I think it's interesting in John chapter 5, I think it's verse 39, it says, uh, or 38, it says you st he's speaking to the religious leaders and he says, you know what? You study the scriptures diligently 
because you think that in them you have eternal life. And these are the very scriptures that testify about me. But you refuse to come to me to have life. And so we know that what happens is that uh, he comes to Jesus and Jesus just responds to Nicodemus. Um, three times he says in 3, 5, and 7, he just says, you need to be born again. So Jesus, Nicodemus coming to Jesus says, here's what I know. But it's not I, it's we. So there was some other, if, 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 if I'm saying a we as Nicodemus, I'm probably, I'm taking it, there was probably some other religious leaders. There were some of those in Nicodemus' circle that were going, huh, you know, we don't, there's something here. And so maybe Nicodemus is their spokesperson, or maybe they just all are talking and he's in himself going, I, I really need to find out what's going on here. I've got, I've got some questions that I need to ask Jesus. And so now again, the focus of the religious leaders would have been on the outward appearances and adherence, and adherence to the law and traditions and it would have been that way more than purity of heart, because that's really the contention that Jesus had with them. What he say to them? He says, y'all are like whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but inside it is a totally different story. It is, you are not right on the inside. And so this Pharisee, Nicodemus, in my mind, he kind of He's different. He kind of puts aside whatever his pride is, and he's going to try to get answers from Jesus. Now, Keith mentioned he goes at night, which could have been, you know, secretively, because it seemed that if you were to say anything good about Jesus, the religious leaders would have, they would have just come down on you. They would have just dismissed you. We learn later that's exactly what took place. Anybody that was on Jesus' side, they, just, they were just cutting them off from temple life. And so that just continued to grow. It could be that maybe he just really wanted a private conversation. You know, this is a feast. There's a lot of activities going on. I'm sure that there was a lot of duties that Nicodemus would have had to perform uh, during that time. And maybe he just didn't have time and he wanted to have a longer conversation, quiet from everything else. And so in my mind, uh, he's coming... To ask some questions. And in my mind, I think it would have been a list of questions. So he's seeing the signs. A lot of people are believing. And so when he's coming, maybe he's there, he sees these signs, and maybe he's there to ask Jesus more specifically, are you the Messiah? So he said to him, he called him rabbi. Okay, so Here's a peasant, okay, here's a peasant, a peasant, in their eyes, who was Jesus? He was this carpenter, he was a working class, he was like a peasant, he was from Galilee. So for Nicodemus to say, whether it was sarcastically, which I don't believe, but he said, he called him rabbi, that was really an honor. And he, and he said, so think with me. He called him rabbi. He said, you know what? We know this is a God thing. Because we know that this can't happen unless 
This is, this is supernatural. This is miraculous stuff that's taking place. There's no way that you're not from God, in my mind. And he calls him a teacher. Now, notice he doesn't say anything about past that. And so, I'm sh- in, and again, I, I replay this in my mind, and I'm thinking, so, you know, Nicodemus, they get by wherever they are. Maybe there's fire going on. And he says, hey, uh, listen, I know, Rabbi, I know that... Um, uh, you must be from God because of the miracles. Um, and Jesus just cuts in right there. He doesn't get to ask a question. Now, from the context, I mean, maybe he did later, maybe not. Or maybe it was just that when he approaches Jesus, he says that, and it's almost like in Jesus' mind, go, let's just stop right there. And Jesus just jumps in. And he begins to say some things to Nicodemus. And he says, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so again, as Nicodemus is a religious leader, he would have spent his entire life focused on doing the law, fulfilling in actions, in all that was there, and in the traditions and Jesus jumps, jumps in, in my mind, he says, hey, it's not about that, it's about radical transformation. So he just gets right to the point. Now, this idea where he says, truly, truly, I say unto you is used three times. So he's talking to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say unto you. Now, this word truly in the Greek is the word that we get amen from. And when amen, and Jesus used it twice, truly, truly. Now, when amen is used in a sentence, at the end of a sentence, what it means is it, it confirms the preceding words and invokes their fulfillment, like, let it be so. So we read that in Scripture. We see amen in a lot of places. Some, a statement said, and then they say, amen, let that be so. But when it's used at the beginning of a sentence, amen gives a strong affirmation guaranteeing the truth of what is going to be said. And so Jesus says this three times, and here's the three things he says about that. Truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born again. Truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born of the water and of the Spirit. So the first one, truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born again, otherwise you can't see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say unto you, this is, he's really emphasized, here's some truth you need to know, don't let this fail. You need to be born again to see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say unto you, verse 11, we speak of what we know, bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. So Nicodemus, basically, in my mind, he's approaching Jesus, he's going, this is what I know. And Jesus, in my mind, is going, well, here's what you need to know. That his con- Nicus, Nicus, Nicodemus's conversation really doesn't go past what Jesus is wanting Nicodemus to know. And we know from, from the scriptures as we read it, we see that, that he has this encounter, and then a little bit later he sticks up for Jesus in, a, in, in their council, and they kind of bash him. And then who's the guy that goes with uh, uh, Josephus? It, was it Josephus? Joseph of Arimathea, yeah. Who goes with him? 
It's Nicodemus. So it seems like this conversation was such an impactful conversation that Nicodemus continues to watch and see. He kind of sticks up for, but then he is the one that is with Joseph to bury Jesus and possibly pays for whatever it is to be able to make that happen. So this transition that's taking place in Nicodemus' life. Let's see. Maybe I'll stop. Any comments about any of that right now? hear people talk about, you know, like Nicodemus coming around or whatever. You know, I keep thinking about uh, when Peter asked, you know, and Jesus said, who, who am I? And then when he replied, he said, you only know it because my father revealed it to you. You know, it's like when people see all the miracles that Jesus did, a lot of people did that because they were hanging around, they wanted to get fed, they wanted to get, you know, cured, but none of them really believed who he was. But it makes you think that Nicodemus, as he was observing Jesus, the father said, look, you need to listen to him. He is the son of God. And that motivated him to go talk to him. And then like you, as you said later on with the burial, you know, it just kind of proves out who Nicodemus felt that he was. But yeah, as a teacher of the law, you know, and asking all those questions and stuff, I think uh, Jesus revealed, you know, more and more to him. But yeah, I think definitely the father was, was nudging him. Mm, that's good. Somebody else? All right. So basically he says to them, uh, okay, so he says, here's what you need to know. Uh, you need to be born again of the water and the Spirit. And we've testified to you about this, but you've not received it. And I think uh, to give uh, uh, some understanding of this is that for the Jews, it was widely taught that since they were descendants of Abraham they were automatically assured of heaven. Just because they were natural-born Israelites, they were going to make it. Which is, they knew because they were Abraham's seed, they were going to, they were going to, the kingdom of heaven was theirs. That's something to, interesting to think about when you read through the Sermon on the Mount. And you read the first 12, is it the first 12 or 13 verses? And Jesus said, talks about the kingdom of heaven and entrance into the kingdom of heaven, really what that looks like. So there's really a lot that he's saying to those that are teaching that they're going, whoa, I just thought because I'm, I'm a Jew, I'm in. And he's going, no, uh-uh, that's, that, that was not God's intention. And so Jesus comes on the scene, Nicodemus, this is what I know. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to tell you what you need to know. You need to be born again unless... He says this twice. Now, this is really strong. Jesus goes, hey, listen, unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of the water of the Spirit, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. It's like, this is not optional. And what does he use before? Truly, truly. Truly, truly. Here's what I'm saying to you. And, and it just... I don't care, Nicodemus, what you believed in the past. I don't know what's rolling around your head or your heart, but let me tell you what you need to know. 
Unless you're born again, there's no plan B. Unless you're born again, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. You're not going to see the kingdom of God. That's just the way that it is. And people go, so we talk to people and say, hey, listen, you need to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. I mean, unless you, unless you receive Christ, you're not going to make it. And you're going, well, that's harsh. You're, you're just being cruel and you're just no tolerance. Here's the Son of God. Here's God in the flesh going, truly, truly, I'm telling you, unless you are born again of the water and the Spirit, you're not going to see it, you're not going to enter it. So it's not like we're being harsh. What we're trying to do is communicate the truth of the gospel, because here's what happens. When you, what did Paul say in 117, Romans 117? For the power of, for the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So when you start telling people, if you say to someone, hey, you need to be born again, and you begin to explain that, what is that? That's the gospel. You're telling the good news that God has given through his son about life and about eternal life. You're sharing the gospel. So you're not trying to be critical it's like if I'm going to tell you, hey, Jonas, let me tell you, this is how you get to your house. Uh, you, you come out of the parking lot, take left at the light, go right. And you're going to go, right? Are you kidding me? Yeah, go right to 19 and go north. And you're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, that's not going to get me there. You know that you got to go out, you got to go left to 41 and go south. When we're trying to help people understand the scriptures, we're just trying to, we're not, we're just trying to share what he's telling us that is true. So they will take it all kinds of wrong ways because that's light shining in the darkness. But the reality is we're not trying to be critical. We're trying to be helpful because for you and for me, someone came to you and said, this is truth. Now, when my buddy told me this is truth, I went, and here I am. And all of you at some point, somebody told you the truth and you're and here you are. So he says, basically, hey, there's no plan B. And Nicodemus goes, I, I don't get that. How, how, how can that be? Born again, what, what, what even in the world is that? Is it about entering in your mother's womb a second time? I, I don't understand. I don't understand that. How can that happen? And we know, you know, we're always, we're on this side of it, so there's a lot that we know that they didn't know. We get to read the whole story and look back and go, hello, they were in the moment. They would be going to us just in our moment going, hello, they'd have been doing the same thing to us. Are you so foolish? I mean, it's right there. I mean, can't you see that? So he's basically saying, well, okay, the real question is, okay, well then, how can I be born again? How does that work? How does that happen? And I think that just the term born again, we all know this, born is to begat. It means you're an offspring of. Again is the word is translated from above. So Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, it's, you're caught up down here, but the reality of the kingdom of God and the things of the kingdom of God and being right with God it's not about here as much as it's about here. It's about being born again. It's about being born 
from above. And he alluded to that in the opening in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, where he says, But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So he kind of gives this indicator, John does for us. Nicodemus, I don't know, he might have understood born from above in, in the literal sense of the words, but really, what does that mean? And I think a lot of times people get confused with born again. Uh, you know, they, uh, like, I'm, I'm assuming like Nicodemus, Keith said there must have been this nudge or prick in his conscience or heart about what was going on to go to Jesus. And the same way with us in our life before we came and those that were around, we know that the Spirit of God is drawing men to himself and there's these nudges, pushes, and pricks. There's these things where people are going, okay, that doesn't really make sense. And so, but most of humanity, when they don't know the gospel and that begins to happen and we say, and, and we say something to them. That they, in their mind, they're thinking, okay, I, I want a better life. My life isn't working out, so what are the things that I can change to change it to make it better? And the reality is, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus, it's not about, a, it's not about reforming your life. Christ, just so you know, uh, how do I want to say this so we have clarity? Is there a reformation in our life when we come to Christ? Is there this shift in our life? Yes, there is, but it's more than that. It's transformation. It's, it's a brand new life. And you're going, that's crazy, Tracy. Uh, I got saved uh, on December 3rd. On December 2nd, I looked in the mirror. I saw who I was. December 3rd, after I saved, I, 4th, I, I looked in the mirror. Still the same guy. No, uh-uh. That's not true. You were a radically different individual because this is about this. This is a spiritual transformation. It is about a spiritual life. And because of what happens to you spiritually, the breaking of the power of sin in your life, the life of God, uh, Spirit of God into your life, it's very different. It's completely different. It's completely different. I think so much differently, and all of us, I think, we think so much differently before Christ and after Christ that we go, I don't even know how, how could I have been so stupid I can't even believe I believe like that. How did I ever get along over there? This is so clear to me. So it's a radical change of life. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not adapting a few things to make your life better. That's not what Christianity is at all. Does that happen? Oh, well, yeah. yeah. I can say my life's better. But it wasn't because I changed a few things to make my life better. My life was dramatically changed because of Jesus changed it. Any thoughts about that? You know, in, in uh, Romans 12, you know, the, the word transformation, I heard a sermon one time, and what it means is metamorphosis. I mean, if you think of how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it's all from the inside out. So like you said, it's not about um, do this and don't do that kind of thing, like the Pharisees did, right? Keeping of the law. 
It's about allowing God to change you from the inside out. So it's true transformation. Okay. Anybody else? Um, it's regeneration, too. I mean, our, our spirit couldn't connect with God at all because it was dead. And we got regenerated. And 1 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15 talks about the fact that the natural man cannot understand spiritual things. But um, when you're born again, you can suddenly understand um, and communicate with God that you couldn't do before. And I remember then there's, a, like, there's several things that happen to you when you believe. You, ha- you know the word of God is true and you want to learn about it. Um, you have a fellowship with other believers that you didn't have prior to that. You thought they were quacks. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you have a fellowship with them. You have a thing in common. And so a lot, there's probably about 15, 20 things that happen to you when you get regenerated and mm-hmm. you start to notice those things as you're walking forward. I think that a simple definition of regenerate would be life again. Life again. Hmm. Isn't that something? Adam and Eve, there was life. There was death. Through Christ, there is life again. That is so good. Uh, Tony? Yeah, there is, uh, when we talk about how can we explain born again, because there are people there that we talk to them about Jesus, and they get confused, and they ask, what do you mean by being born again? And to me, the key, one of the keys is that we have to understand what happened at the garden in the book of Genesis. How we are broken because of the scene of, you know, that created a breakage between God and man. And that's the reason why we needed Jesus. Of course, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, they were judged by their righteousness. We know that by their faith. But what I'm trying to say here is sometimes to be able to understand being born again from people that don't really understand that. They need to know the story. Mm-hmm. What really happened instead of just, are you born again? Or would you like to be born again? I think it's uh, simple to think that, you know, a natural birth, uh, birth is a mode of entrance into the world, and it brings with it our ability to live and adapt to the world. Born again in the very same way. It is um, our entrance into the kingdom of God, into this, this spiritual world where we learn to, it gives us ability to adapt and to live in this new world, in this new life that we've found. Uh, go ahead, Jonas. Yeah, uh, so part of the really cool thing for me is that all this transformation and real life that we get now is just the beginning, just the foretaste of what it's going to be like uh, in a couple of days when Jesus comes back. Because we can start to see some in of these things. In a couple days, in... I like that. <laughs> Let's go. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, like we can start to see some things now, but I tell you, when we're remade, we're just, it's all going to be so clear and we can start to love and it's going to be our, like, it's going to be natural to just care about people. Mm. And we think we have some communion going on and we do, but it's going to be perfect and I cannot wait. Yeah. How exciting. Uh, Doug. Yeah, I just think all the, um, you know, the regeneration, the resetting, right? Sort of, we talked about this before, is like uh, Jesus comes and resets, right? Death becomes defeated because of sin, like we talked about in the garden. But, and he says here, you know, 
I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? And it's that, to your point, it's that regeneration of the spiritual connection with God, reconciliation with God, that now we look at things through a heavenly focus, and we look towards a heavenly kingdom versus looking at what's around us. Mm. Yeah, see, we see so much more. I was blind, and now I see. Mm. I, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you think the, when you became a believer, and you think about your two weeks prior to that, and then you think about your two weeks after that, just a new setting of observation, a new setting of, oh, okay, well, wait, it's kind of like uh, probably a bad analogy, but if you ever go to a movie that's a 3D movie and you don't have the glasses on, it's a movie. Put the glasses on and there's some reality to it. And, you know, we're living our life, but as a believer, we're living our life with a reality, a heaven real, heavenly reality. Now, Nicodemus, for him, he understood the kingdom of God as being here on earth, promised here on earth, just like his disciples did. But Jesus was, you know, they, you, it was like, Messiah is going to come, defeat our enemies, establish this earthly kingdom. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus is getting at with Nicodemus, you know, there's a, there's a heavenly kingdom here. And God has invited you to that kingdom. And the way you get into that kingdom is like this. And so I, one of the things that uh, is interesting is that Jesus is resurrected he comes back, and for 40 days, what does he talk to his disciples about for 40 days? 40 days, what does he talk to his disciples about? The kingdom of God. Now, speculate what, what 40 days, the kingdom of God, he's trying to, I think for 40 days, he's trying to say, He's just given clarity, like on the road to Emmaus. Remember he, how he said he, he walked with them on the road to Emmaus and he opened up their eyes and he started back, way back, and he, he gave them an understanding about what this is. And I think that when Jesus is with his disciples, he's talking about the kingdom of God, he's, he's teaching them a lot about the heaven reality. Yeah, hey, just so you know, it's always been like this. And God has always intended to be like this. And he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven. They were thinking it was this here, and he's going, no, it's up here. And here's the thing you need to know about up here. God has always been ruling and reigning and always been in control. And he will always rule and reign and always be in control. How fun is that? So, you know, I've had people ask me, what is the kingdom of God? And for me, a simple explanation is, says, wherever Jesus rules and reigns in, your, in the heart of man, there's the kingdom of God. See, we are a part of the kingdom of God right now, but we're going to be a part of it, like Donna said, a part of the kingdom of God later. We get the, we get the, the tip of the iceberg. I can't even imagine. I was over at my son's uh, this last week, and uh, I was helping him uh, do a couple things. He wasn't there. And I go over there for sanity sometimes because he lives and he's got some privacy. It's so nice. There's always a breeze blowing through there. The birds are... I'm right now in a house that I'm just there and not happy about. Jesus needs to help me with. And um, I go there and I sit. I got my coffee and a breeze blows through. I hear the birds and I just go... And that is not this 
physical rest, it's a refreshing because it's just like I'm reminded, yeah, that's God, you're so good. And there's just, there's this God moment that I have at that time. And that, that's just a little bitty thing. What we know and understand is such a little bitty thing. What did Paul say? The, uh, the, uh, the things and the suffering of the earth uh, uh, at this present time are so small. They can't even be, they can't, they can't even be compared. It's like trying to get a scale that you could weigh a grand grain, uh, a scale that could weigh a grain of sand and the moon. That that just can't happen. They, they just can't. They can't build anything like that. And for us, we know why we're going to need uh, a new body, because this one would just go <laughs> at the reality of what God is what we're going to, what he's going to reveal to us. How fun. So, he says, unless you're born again, born from above, you can't see the kingdom of God. And so we know, uh, 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 I'm trying to think of the scripture specifically where Paul says about uh, only the spiritual man can understand spiritual things. Right? So there needs to, God needs to open up our heart and our life through his spirit so that we can even begin to see and comprehend, right? If you're, before I, all of us, we, we could only guess and had no idea. And so then he goes on to say, unless you're born of the water and the spirit, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And so there's some interpretations out there about what that means. Some think it's water baptism, but I don't see through the scriptures where Jesus really emphasizes the right so much of it. Just think about this. So let's just say, Tim, you're not a believer. But this morning, my message is so powerful. It is so convicting. God is moving through me so much. You repent. You get in your car, get out under 54, and some semi creams you, and you're dead. You're going to hell. No way. So what is it? What is he trying to say? And again, there's all kinds of stuff out there. Let me give you just a little piece of my, thought, my thinking process. I don't think that it's connected specifically, but although I do know that your command, he commands you to believe and be baptized, I, I understand that. But I don't think that's what he's saying. So for me, what do we know about water and through the scriptures in the Old Testament? Well, it had to do with cleansing. You know, there was a lot of cleansing, outward cleansing. To me, what he's saying is, unless you have this cleansing of the Spirit, you're not going to be able to enter into the kingdom of God. So for me, very simply. And, and I, I, haven't, I haven't driven a nail in my coffin for this, but for me, it makes sense. Born of the water. Some say, well, well, anyway, I won't go there. Just for me. And, and, and then I get to thinking, okay, well, where is that equated in Scripture? Jesus is talking to, and now we have to remember all the way through this, Jesus is talking to a learned man, someone that knew the law inside and out, frontward and backward. You could probably start Leviticus 19, 24, and he could finish it. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus so he can what? Understand. Is he trying to confuse Nicodemus? No. He wants him to understand. He came to him. He wants some answers. And so Jesus is saying stuff so he can understand. So for me, where is it that these things come together? 
where water and spirit come together in the Old Testament in the context that promises a new beginning. And so Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27 is a good text where God speaking through the prophet to the people of Israel says, I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep all my laws. And so God promising through the prophet Ezekiel some six centuries earlier that a time would be coming where there would be this transformative new beginning that would be characterized by a cleansing symbol of water that washes well on purities and by the powerful gift of the Spirit which transforms people's hearts and lives. So, again, in our text, we don't see exchanges. Jesus jumps right back in uh, in verses 6 or 8, and he says, further, Nicodemus needs to see this difference. Nicodemus, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That's one thing. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit, two different things. Don't marvel that I say unto you, you must be born again. You know that the wind blows where it wishes. You hear it sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And so Jesus goes on to explain to Nicodemus the difference between the natural and the heavenly. And the truth referred to it that it was not a thing of the flesh. It was a thing of God. And so it wasn't natural. And again, I've said this so many times, we should never, we should never get... Uh, how do I say this? Uh, sometimes, I don't know, uh, intimidated maybe by supernatural. Oh, that's just all weird. No, uh uh-uh. It's not all weird, it's just all normal. Supernatural, not natural, but supernatural. I don't don't know how many times you guys have ever done this, but for me, it's like, (laughs) yeah, supernatural. Now, I don't take that and think that I'm going to be Clark Kent and change a costume and fly through the air. But I do know this, that whatever I encounter in my life, Naturally, it doesn't make a difference because God is in my life and he takes what is natural and makes it different. God can take a natural situation and because he's in it, it's not a natural situation anymore. It is a supernatural thing that is taking place in my life. Uh, you know what? I think I'm, I got a lot here, but I think I'm just going to stop. And I want to say this. Here's my simple take. This, this encounter with Nicodemus, there's, well, I'll bring it out more next week, but um, Nicodemus basically comes to Jesus and he says, this is what I know. Basically, Jesus says to Nicodemus, well, this is what you need to know. 
How many times have you been in conversation with somebody and they might say, well, this is what I know, and you go, all right, but here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to receive. Here's what you need to believe. Will you trust Jesus with that? Uh, see, I, I don't, I, again, I don't think it's complicated. Can it get complicated? Yeah, it can get. There's a lot of things we'll never know. Not here. But John writing and Jesus speaking, he's never just, he's always trying to say, look, no matter who you are, no matter where you come from, whether you have no knowledge of God or a lot of knowledge of God, Jesus always comes and He says, here's what you need to know. <laughs> here's what you need to see. Just look back on your life and know that. Each one of us can go back to that moment in time when the reality came. We thought we had it all figured out. We thought it was all this way. And because, the, because of God stirring our heart, Him speaking into our life, God speaking to us before we ever knew Him. And He came to us, <laughs> and He said, here, here's what you need to know. And once we get to that place, here's what's beautiful. Here's what you still need to know. Here's what you still need to see. That is the gospel. And that is an amazing work of the grace of God in our life. And I don't know about you, but that just gets me excited.